Hold loosely to the things you value greatly. Hold loosely to those. We all have a chance to live for a period of time on earth. And be quite frank, this might be your last day of life. I don't want to sound like fearful of any means because if you know Christ, you know where you're going. However, we're here for a certain period of time and we're here to impact others for Jesus. We're here to live in such a way that others find Jesus, are encouraged to grow in their faith. We're here to live in community. We're here not for ourselves. We're not here just for us. It's not about us. If you look at the Bible, there's tons of one another's. We're here to do life in community so that people are impacted by that. At some point or another, someone will stand at your funeral. Someone will stand at your gravesite. Someone potentially will come walking up to a microphone at your funeral and they'll have some words to say about you. A memory, something that you did, something you did with them, something that they remember. The question is this, what will they say? What will be the things that they bring to light that you've done with them? Will there be anything? What if your wife walked up? What if your husband walked up? What if your daughter walked up? What if your son walked up? What if your brother or sister walked up? What if your mother or father walked up? What would they say about you and your life and the life you lived on planet Earth? What would be the things that would surface? What would be the most meaningful things that would surface? How have you impacted this world for Jesus Christ? All of us have that opportunity. We'll have that opportunity unless the rapture would occur before then where people will remember us. And so we have a chance to live in this world in such a way that it impacts others that we leave a lasting memory. Let me show what I mean. Take a look at this. It begins with so many possibilities. The course uncharted. Foundation unlaid. The decisive battle of the war has begun. But every day is a step. The forces of Germany have surrendered. Every choice, another brick laid. A monument to time. What will stand at the end? What will be looked back upon with tears of gladness? For the sum of a lifetime is measured in that which is left behind. At the end of it all, what will my monument be? I have made a difference? Will I have lived for something? I shall accept nothing less. I live for life. I live for love. I live for legacy. We get one chance on this side of eternity 
to impact others, to influence, to give, to serve, to love, to touch, to build lasting memories. We have one chance, and so we have an opportunity to build those memories day by day, hour by hour. The question is, what are we building? What will be left behind? What will people remember? What are they remembering now? What memories are you building right now that will impact the generations to come? Not just your children, but their children and their children. What will last once you've been gone? It won't be the things that you have It won't be a possession. It'll be something that you've done in relationship. Those are the things that mean the most to people. Those are the memories that come right to the surface. And we have an opportunity daily to build those. Even as you age and you grow in marriage, as you're single, you can continue to build those memories with other people around you so that when they have a chance at your passing, at your going, they will remember something about you. If you were to walk into my office you would see there's things that mean a lot to me. And the things that mean the most to me in my office are portraits or pictures. You'll see some portraits that are very meaningful to me because they're memories, they're, they're events that happen in my life that I remember. They're people that, that have had an impact on me and that I've had a chance to do life with. You would find a picture on one of my counters and one of my desks. It's a picture of me and my mom taking a walk two years ago, hand in hand, arm in arm, walking down the streets of Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. It was a day I'll never forget. My mom was very clear. She had great clarity. And we just went for a walk and we talked about what it was like in the old days. We talked about growing up and I shared my love and and appreciation for her. And I thanked her for being the best mom on planet earth. I'll never forget that memory. And someone took a portrait of me and my mom walking. If you walk into my office, one of the most precious memories that I have with my mother. You also find a picture on my desk of my wife and I. And Right as I work every day, there's, there's a picture of my wife, Anne, and, and it's a daily reminder that I've been blessed with an incredible bride. I've been blessed to have this woman in my life, and I can look at that picture, and I can tell you story after story after story of things that we've done together. Behind me on the wall is a portrait of my family, my children, our children, and my wife, and, and I could tell you hours and hours of memories and, and things that we've done. And I walk in, it's a reminder that I've been blessed with, or we've been blessed, Ann and I have been blessed with three precious kids and a family in tow that we can have a chance to do life together. Those are the things that are most valuable. It's what you do with what God has given you. The memories that people will pass on, it's the things that you've done with them. Today, we're gonna see a man that had a great skill, had a great gift, was talented, had a great work ethic, had achieved, was very successful, earned a lot. And he got to the end of his life. He earned so much that he had to find a way to do something with this abundance of harvest. Yet when he gets to the end of his life, he makes a choice that God looks at him and actually calls him a fool. Not because of him being successful in what he did, but what he did with his success, with his his abundance. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we'll take a look at this man. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Turn to Luke chapter 12. And let's read verses 16 to 21. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand and Stand with me when you find that and stand with me as we read God's word. Luke chapter 12, it's a story that Jesus tells about a a man that, that was a farmer. And this farmer was very successful. 
Yet when he got to the end of his life, Jesus called him these words that none of us want to be called at the end of our lives. Look at Luke chapter 12. Let's read verses 16 to 21. Ready, read. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You may have a seat. We can see from this account that with success, as in the case of this farmer, comes great responsibility. With success comes great responsibility. We also know from the New Testament, he who has been faithful in little will have an opportunity to be faithful in much. And with much or more comes more responsibility. It's not like it's easier when God places you in charge of more or gives you more. It means you have more responsibility. But in the same way that you've been faithful with this, you must be faithful with that. So with success comes great responsibility. The farmer that we see in this account did nothing wrong. He did nothing unethical that we can see. He, he did nothing immoral but he did everything right. Nowhere in this story do we see he stole anything, nor did he do anything that we would call him unethical in any stretch of the imagination. He just worked hard. And don't most farmers do that anyway? Let me just pull away and say something to farmers today in our community, in our world. I have great respect for farmers. Even today, as I drove here to, to Grace Community, I rode by a few farms, and I know many of the farmers' names, and I prayed for them, and I thank God for them and the farmers across our world that allow us to have food that gives us sustenance for life. Farmers are some of the, the hardest working people that you will ever find. There are people who get up early and stay up late. And so when I look at this account, I see this farmer and I think there's a farmer that probably worked hard. There's a farmer that probably got up early and stayed up late. There, nothing about his work ethic is brought to light. This is a man who was successful as a farmer. God gave him a gift to understand when to plant, when to harvest. And so he got, got to the end of the harvest season and he had such a bumper crop that he needed to do something with the, the excess that was there. There. Lazy farmers don't last long. It's a hard life, though, being a farmer. They have to navigate through weather. They have to navigate through droughts. They have to navigate through viruses and through their livestock that can kill everything. Farmers get up early and often stay up late. And often their work ethic is unmatched. And so when I see this account, Jesus is saying, this farmer did nothing wrong when it came to farming. In fact, he was very successful. Yet with great success comes great responsibility. So here we have a farmer that was able to work hard. And yet he gets to the end of his life and says, I have so much grain, more than my barns can hold, more than I've ever had before. How do we know that? Because his barns can't contain what the 
harvest has brought. In fact, it's an abundant harvest. So I was thinking this week, just picture if you can, a farmer. He has so much grain as he brings it to light. He begins to harvest it. He realizes that his barns aren't big enough. So he has to find a place to put the extra grain, the extra harvest. So he begins to think, should I tear down my old barns? Because I have so much grain, so much. There's nothing wrong. The thought of saying, I want to make sure that my grain doesn't go bad. There's nothing wrong in saying, I want to protect the harvest. So he asked the question, should I keep storing up? What should I do? And so we have this picture of this farmer with so much grain that his barns aren't big enough. And he's asking the question, what shall I do with this excess harvest? He has to make a decision. Will I build bigger barns, tear down the old ones? Will I store it away? And the farmer says, this is what I'll do. I have so much. I will build a bigger barn. I'll go to Chortime Brock in Milford and I'll get more silos. I'll put big blue silos in my farmland. And then when I retire, I'll take all that harvest and I'll eat, drink, and be merry. Is that what God wants us to do with our abundant harvest? So this farmer has a decision to make. Will he keep what he's worked hard to harvest? Is it his? Should he store, 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 and store some more for just in case? And when he retires, he'll have so much that he never has to ever be concerned, nor will he ever be concerned with making it. Yet so much of our lives, as it was in this farmer's case, is built around what is best for us? What is best for my future? How can I coast into retirement? How can I set myself up so that I, me, can flourish? In fact, look how many times this farmer says the word I in this parable. Look again in verse 17. (coughs) He thought to himself... What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This farmer didn't have any sinful business practice. But what he did wrong is what he did with the excess grain. You see, so much of our lives is built about thinking how we can set ourselves up in retirement, how we can set ourselves up that we and our wives and our families can have this and have that when we retire. And primarily the reason behind that is because we've come to attach to this. And so as I think about this parable that Jesus is saying, he's saying, hold loosely what you value greatly. 
This farmer, as we see here, and we can do the same, we find our security in our barns and in our banks and in our investments and in our possessions. And listen to me today. There is nothing that you hold above God that he will ever bless. If you're banking on this, Jesus is saying, you are a fool because we must come to God with open hands, fully surrendered and say, God, it's all yours. How many of you are holding tightly to an investment? How many of you are holding tightly to a possession? How many of you are banking on an inheritance? How many of you are upset when mom and dad don't pay your college education? How many of you are holding tightly to the wrong things just like this man, this farmer? And God said to him, you fool, you thought that building bigger barns and having deposits in the bank and having enough in your vault and safe is good for you. It's not about you. Why is it that we do that? Because we get disillusioned when our house isn't big enough. We get disillusioned when our cars aren't fast enough. We get disillusioned or discouraged when our bank accounts aren't large enough. We lose this primary understanding of who we are and where we're at. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 and just keep your finger here. We'll come right back to this. We forget where our citizenship is. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Keep your finger here in Luke. Philippians chapter 3. We forget one primary principle that Paul told the church at Philippi. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 20. But our what is in heaven? Citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. Let me ask you, do you? Did you, did you wake up this morning, like on the, jump out of bed and say, this could be the day. This could be the day. Are you eagerly, are you like the little kid waiting at the door for it to open so you can bolt out the front and run, run, run? Like this could be the day. Do you eagerly await a savior from there? Why? Because our citizenship, our passport. If you were to open up our eternal passport, it doesn't say residence, in my case, Maryland, USA. It says heaven. And when we know that our passport, our citizenship, our home is in heaven, then we look at what earth has to offer and say, this is temporary. But what I do with this impacts my citizenship in heaven. You see, this is not our home. You will take none of this with you. Every man that has ever died, his last breath is left on earth. His next breath, whether he has a million or a gazillion, he stands before the creator of the world with nothing but whatever he did with what was here. So can we start there? Let me just say this. Everything that we do here directly impacts our future in heaven. Not only can't we take this stuff with us, this parable is saying, it's God's intention for it to be shared. The Bible is a picture of one another's. 
This passage shows a rich man living in utter loneliness, finding his security in his stuff. If you only look out for number one, you will end up the only one. That's what happened to this farmer. If you only look out for number one, then you will end up the only one. And Jesus is seeing this successful businessman, this successful farmer at the end of his life, only looking out for himself. And if you only look out for number one, you'll end up the only one. It's about relationship. I think about that often, regularly. And even as I age, I think about it even, even, even more. Even as I look back on my own life growing up, I love when I look back on my life and I look at the way my parents raised us. We were a lower middle class family. We didn't even know it. We were a lower middle class family. But I love the way that my mom and my stepfather always made us feel like we were very important. I love the way that even that, that my, my stepfather who worked in Mack Trucks in Hagerstown, I love how he would save up for one vacation. Like we had one family vacation a year. And I, and I always remember the memories that we built. We, we'd jump in our Ford Country Squire station wagon, palace all in the back. And we'd fight the whole way to Florida and sometimes pull out the road and get spanked. But when we finally got there, we were glad we were there. Memories of journey, of spending time. And I can always remember, like, if I was playing wiffle ball in the backyard or basketball in the driveway or my friends were there helping out in the garden, if there was someone else there, mom would always have another play. Yeah, bring them in, eat with us. They taught me a lot about living life with others. So even this week, I was thinking, what are the things that were most important to me over this past week? And as I look back over this past week, even yesterday, this weekend, had the opportunity with my bride to go to a marriage retreat to fine-tune our marriage. We fine-tune our cars, don't we? We tune them up. So we should continue to tune up our marriages, too, when you have the opportunity. Had a great opportunity this weekend. Ann and I, under the leadership of Pastor Mike, it was great. The art of marriage and, and some other staff members. And we found tools that would help us even to love each other more and to care for each other more. And, and, and so we came home from that. It was her birthday yesterday. What better way to spend time in growing together on her birthday? And we came home and I had planned ahead of time that Hannah would have a meal cooked at home. And we had a cake ready. And so we got home and the, the children were there. We were all there and, and we got home. And, 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 and so when I was in Iraq this, this past January, in Iraq, they have these candles. They're the coolest things in the whole world. And this candle, you put it on a cake and it, it starts, it looks, it looks like a, a closed tulip. And when you light the center wick on this candle, it, it, it shoots sparks in the air. It's just awesome. How many cakes can you get with sparks in the air? Like that's enough. I like, think that was enough. But then the sparks light all the petals around. And so the petals on this, this, this cake opens up and on each one of the petals, there's a candle that's lit and it turns around and three spins around and it plays happy birthday to you. <laughs> like Anne's looking at this thing thinking, wow, that's awesome. It's just nonstop. Happy birthday to you. So we're there as a family and watching Anne and singing her happy birthday. And, 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 and so we got done and it kept playing happy birthday. It wouldn't stop. It wouldn't stop no matter what we did to it. It wouldn't stop when we took it apart. 
So we were playing scattergories at the table. It was Ann and I against Josh and Isaiah and Hannah and Johnny. And, and we're seated there. And like, it's still playing in the background. Happy birthday. Like, how many people get happy birthday sung to them nonstop? So we took it and we set this thing outside. It's on the stoop outside. And at some point we would all stop and Hannah or someone would say, just stop, listen. And you could hear it. Happy birthday to you. It's a memory I'll never forget. This morning when I woke up, got up early and I hopped in my Jeep, went out in the garage, fired up and opened up the door. And I heard, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And I'm sitting in my Jeep. This thing is playing. I I couldn't find it. They hit it. The whole way to grace this morning. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. I looked high and I looked low. If you walk by my Jeep right now, it's playing happy birthday. But why did I tell you? What a memory. Anne will never forget that birthday. And if she does, I'll remind her. (laughs) But those are the things you cherish the most. And I was thinking about this past week. It was last Sunday. Hannah and I and Josh went for a run. Hannah and I are going to run a half marathon together. And and running with my daughter and talking about life and relationship. And like, that's priceless. Like, I'll never forget that run. And this week on Thursday, it was warm and the sun was out and I got home around five-ish and Isaiah was home, basketball season's over and I said, man, let's go play around the golf. And we headed down to McCormick Creek and got our family membership and we got nine holes in. We talked about life and purity and dating and it was so good. And on Thursday this past week and Josh was on Craigslist. He's looking for a different used vehicle. And we drove up. He said, Dad, you want to go to Benton Harbor with me? I'm going to go look at a grandchild. I said, you betcha. Stopped by work. He got home from Krugel Lawton, stopped in the parking lot out here. And we drove together. And we talked about life and family and cars. And we drove together. And he was meeting this guy who was selling it. And this young guy gets out. He's about Josh's age. He's an attorney. Josh is an accountant. And out of the passenger side of that vehicle came his dad, too. We met each other in this parking lot. I ended up purchasing it. Then we stopped at a restaurant, find, trying to find a restaurant that didn't have bread that we could eat. It was just, it was one of those fun moments. Some of you understand that it was a fun moment together. But as I look back, those are the things that we remember. Sharing life together. Yet this farmer got to the end of his life. I, I, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm set up for life. And Jesus said, you fool. You see, no one else can take your turn in this life either. There's no reruns when you die. You get one chance, I get one chance, you get one chance. We can't press the rewind button. So we must live this life to the fullest and live it in such a way that we don't hold tightly the possessions. We hold them loosely. We hold relationships loosely because it's all God's. He's the owner and we're the manager. But while we're here, we need to build community with people around us so that there comes a day that generations to come, grandchildren and great-grandchildren are still living out the impact that we had on their life because we've lived Jesus in front of them. This man produced a good crop. So good that he had to go by and build new barns. 
and order more silos. In fact, if you were probably to go to his farm during this time, you would just say, wow, what a farmer. He had it all going. Yet there seems even to be, as you look from a distance, there must have been a major blessing on his life. Yet if he doesn't use it for God and hoards it all to himself, there is danger. He will get what he has prepared himself for. His very life will be demanded from him. Here's what I know to be true. Life is so much more than satisfying what we want. It's doing it with others. The problem was not his success. He was very successful. There's nothing wrong with growth. There's nothing wrong with growing a business. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with much. There's nothing wrong with growing churches. Nothing wrong with that. It's what you do with the excess. It's what you do in the growth. It's what happens in your heart that matters. And this man took it to himself instead of releasing it and sharing it with others. Jesus was saying, you have all this stuff, yet you've forgotten a very valuable life skill. We aren't here for us. We are here to give ourselves away and help others along the way. So how does it happen? Like, how did we... Who's that for you? Is there someone in your path that you're pouring into that you're giving your life away? I've said this in many occasions. I said, I don't want to get to the end of my life and go to my grave and I left something there that I didn't pass on to my kids and my wife first and those called Grace Community Church and all my friendships from here clean back to the day. That would be, that would be a tragedy if I went to my grave and didn't give myself away. It's like when I see these businessmen and these people who have these, this, this one little truth, like this one nugget that could turn around this future businessman and he keeps it to himself with fear of, I'm not sharing that. If I share that, then they'll have what I have. Like, don't take those business secrets to the grave. Give them away so the generations to come can be blessed. Isn't it refreshing when the very answer you need, it comes in an unexpected way out of nowhere in your life that you never thought was possible because someone shared what they had with you? I had it happen to me on numerous occasions and I can think back when Ann and I were going through seminary together. We were poor. We lived below the poverty level. We, we, in fact, the numbers show that we, we, we were so poor number-wise, that we, we, we could stand in line and get free cheese and free, free diapers. And be quite frank, free, free peanut butter. But you know what? We didn't even know we were poor because we had each other. Relationships are the most important thing. But during this time, I was a student body chaplain my second year at Grace Seminary. And, and while I was there, it was about the first or second week, I went to my, 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 my mailbox, and there was this note, and it says, go... Dr. Stephen Dearborn wants you to call him. I didn't know what for. Maybe he was thinking about speaking in chapel. I don't know. I was a seminary student body chaplain. So I went home and I called up this guy I had never met before, Dr. Stephen Dearborn. 
So I called him up and I said, hey, this is Jim Brown from Grace Seminary. I, I, I got a memo that I'm supposed to call you. And, and, and so he introduced himself and I said, can you tell me a little about yourself? He said, sure. He said, I, I, I was a, a, a seminary professor for many years. I taught Bible in college. And, and he said, I, I'm retired and I'm now on this other end. He said, he said, I'd love for you to stop by my house. And I thought, sure, I'll stop by his house and go learn from someone who's further down the road, see what I could, nuggets of truth I could get from a mentor of sorts. And, and so I grab my Ford F-150 truck and I'm driving to this, this gentleman's house and I knock on the door and I go inside and we sit down and we chat. And then he begins unpacking. He, he shows me, takes me back in this room and he shows me his library. And he says, you know what? I felt him com- compelled by God recently, impressed by God that, that I, I've used these books. He said, you know, I, I, I've had my run. He says, I've used them and God laid on my heart that I should give my whole library away to someone. And he said, you know what? I want to give my library to you. So I'm standing in this man's house, and you don't know what that's like if you've ever bought a book in seminary in in graduate school. Some of the books are $300. These are exegetical stories. These are word studies. These are are like uh, commentaries. And I'm standing there almost shaking. And he said, yeah, and and just tears running down my face. And I said, Dr. Dearborn, why would you do that? He says, it's not about me. We're here to share. He said, I would be blessed to bless you. So I quickly opened up the door and started loading them. (laughs) And I load it, and I load it, and I load it, and I load it, and I load it. And I backed them into my home. and, And I had a library like no one else in seminary did. I don't know why God chose me. But even since then, I've given the majority of those books away. But what is it that God wants you to pass on to someone? What is it that you're hoarding? Hold it on to and say, I'll eat, drink, and be merry. I'll sell those things and use them. This farmer said this in verse 18. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. In verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, you think, well, I'm not like that farmer. Yeah, yes, we are. I don't know what you're hoarding. Maybe, maybe you have something else. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the lady that has this china like, that's been passed down to you. Maybe it's carnival glass. I don't even know what that is. Like orange. It's like it's carnival glass. It's like a bowl to me. And you put it in this, and you go out and you put these large cabinets and you have it in your home. And man, when it comes to moving time, you make sure don't touch the china. And you've had it up in your cabinets and, and your daughters have grown up and you've had tea parties, but you never had it with the real china. In fact, you've never eaten on this stuff. It just sets in the house, and there it is, China. One day, one day, we'll sell it or something. But do you? Do you really? Or is it just sitting on the wall? It's just another excess of need a bigger cabinet to put it in. It's not doing you any good or anyone else any good. Listen to me. Get the china out of the cabinet and eat some spaghetti on it. Build a memory. Seriously, when you die, you think your kid's going to say, China. No, they're going to say, I remember the time when I was four years old and me and daddy and mommy, we had a tea party on $1,000 China. 
You say, well, that's not me. I don't have China. As a kid, a young kid, I collected baseball cards. Mostly because I liked baseball. And so I would collect cards and, and I, would, I, would, you know, I, would, I would look at them. I'd rubber band them up and the corners were all messed up on them. I had sets of baseball cards, just sets and sets and sets and sets and sets and sets. And then I realized something. I also had a, a, a five-speed Schwinn bike that bought secondhand. It was, it was called the Grey Ghost. It had the, the wide, big tire on the back and the little tire on the front. And it had a five-speed shifter in the center. And man, I was something else on that thing. And I learned something. That baseball cards had multi-purpose. That if I could take a clothespin from my mom's clothesline and I could take a baseball card and I could snap that clothespin with that baseball card on that little frame on the back and that little spoke went by, then I could turn my bike into a motorcycle. (laughs) And if I took one or two or three and I put them on both sides, that 1966 Orioles deck, man, I was something else. And then if I took my neighbor friends and we got all mom's clothespins, she didn't know I did, but I did. And we put those baseball cards. We went down the streets and man, we were on motorcycles. But let me show you my collection. It's in glass. Corners, they've never been touched. Look at it. It's worth $450. See? Rookie card. Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, I remember Joe DiMaggio. He was in my bike spokes. (laughs) Do you see the difference? Like we hoard this stuff for no reason. One of these days, I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And we miss 65 years of our lives in relationship with people. I don't know what, maybe you're a stamp collector. Uh-oh, now I'm stepping on toes. Stamp. Yeah, I got them. They're, they're from all over America. They're, they're even from, I got them from Russia. I got like the 1924 limited edition. Look at it. I got it in a book and an album. Come here, let me show you. Don't touch it though. Just stand back. It's like this, look, look. And they turn it. <laughs> I say, you know what I did with my stamps? I put them on an envelope and I sent my mom a I love you card. You see, we're doing the same stuff. What is it? And some of you got guns. I mean, when you talk guns, you have vaults. I mean, you look like the Indiana militia would come to your house. You say, whoa, what are these days? Listen, take them all out, invite all your buddies, have a fun day of blowing up the neighborhood with them. They'll remember that. They won't remember them in the vault. Are we really any different? Please listen to me. You get one chance. And one of these days, someone's going to come walking up to the microphone at your funeral. And what are they going to say? Well, there's this couch and this chair in my mom's house. We never get to sit. In fact, she put plastic on it for 35 years. I had a friend that way. Joey Weeks, we go to his mom's house. I'm serious. It, it, we walk in this house, and she had plastic molded over top, the cushions, the back, and you would sit on it, and you would stick to it. You don't need to see it. Like, she had it so long, it was like the Paisley amoeba look. You know what look I'm having? Like, and after 35 years, it wasn't any good anyhow because it was out of date. 
See, we're not any different. This rich farmer did well in many ways. He worked hard. He played by the rules. He worked overtime. He probably read the farmer's almanac. He probably wrote the farmer's almanac. And he planned to build more barns. Why? To store it away. Some of you guys are storing, and your kids, you have thousands of dollars in the bank. You could be gone on these fun vacations with their friends, bringing them. You know, when I see, like, I, I like watching Gas Monkey, and when they go find these vehicles that are in these barns, these barn finds, and, and, and I see these cars, like, they're hardly, like, Camaros. Like, they got dust on them. They got, like, 700 miles on them. I say, that is a fool. Like, give me five minutes of that thing. I'll burn the rubber to the rims on it. I'll build memories. And some of us see cars in the junkyard, and you think, oh, look at that. Look at that 1969 Camaro. Look at it. It's all rusted out, and it's dented up, and, and the, the seat cushions are all worn out. Isn't that horrible? I say, no, they lived in it. They did life in it. See, we're doing the same thing. Listen, some of, listen, some of you are saving so that when you are retired, you can enjoy life. And you're missing out on opportunities. Some of you are so tight that you squeak when you walk. And you think, that's righteous. No, it isn't. It's foolish. His security was in his possessions. So what's Jesus say to him again in verse 20? That God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He looked successful by the world's standards, yet he wasn't by God's standard. He forgot that his life was a vapor and that one day he would die and he forgot to share the journey and his stuff with someone else. Yesterday, Anne's birthday, one of my favorite birthday salutes that she got, congrats she got on Facebook, was from some precious kids in Cambodia. Kids that you care for. And there's this video of, of, of the children. They're walking out, and they're walking beside this blue van that says Grace Community Church that you bought. Like, that's one of your best investments ever. You bought it. And these kids are walking out of this home that, that you purchased, that you rescued kids from potentially human sex slavery and garbage dump, that you gave to. And they came walking out in shirts that you bought. And they came walking in front of this van and their smiles were as big as they were long. And they began to sing to my wife, happy birthday to you, mommy Ann. Happy birthday to you, mommy Ann. Mommy Ann, mommy Ann, we love you. You see, that's what Jesus wants us to do with our resources. Those are memories and life on life. It's not some collection. It's not fretting over the market when it goes south. You see, if you are hoarding your stuff, you are watching the Dow Jones on pens and needles instead of living and loving your kids. 
It's you looking at your china and saying, one of these days that china will be worth something. Let me tell you, you know what I did with china? I smuggled Bibles there. We need, Jesus is saying, reevaluate. Are you afraid? Are you thinking that somehow this is your security? Are you thinking that I need to hold tightly on this so that when I retire, I can eat, drink, and be merry? And we miss out on all life that could happen. We miss out on people who need Jesus that we could feed. We miss out on people that we could love. We miss out on even giving generously to our own kids because we need to save for me and the wife. Don't you dare think that God won't provide all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus? Some of you need to pull away on your plans. You need to have a sit down with your wife and say, boy, what are we missing out on here? Deep satisfaction comes from giving your life away. The rich man had everything he could possess, yet he's empty, lonely, and self-centered and loses everything. Why is a man empty? Because he didn't share his life with others. Proverbs 11:25 tells us this that a generous man will prosper Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. How do you refresh? You de-accumulate your lives. Maybe it's this afternoon walking in your garage and saying, I haven't used that thing for three years. Maybe it's walking into your closet and saying, I haven't worn that outfit for four years. Maybe it's going to your bank account and saying, man, look at that excess I have. I'm going to bless someone else this week. Maybe it's decluttering your life. Maybe it's going to your china cabinet this afternoon and making lunch and eating on the good china. Maybe it's taking one of those stamps and sending someone an I love you card. Maybe it's grabbing that car that's been in storage for years. Putting down that convertible top grabbing your children, strapping them in the back and go 120 mile an hour without any cops around. (laughs) You see, in this man's case, he was glued to his work and taking care of his assets and his life was demanded from him. So what does that mean to you and me this coming year and this quest? I would say this. Make sure your dream is not just for you to add a notch in your belt and to coast in retirement. What does it mean for us? Remind yourself that your life is a vapor. Listen, your life could be taken in a second. Have you lived in such a way that you have been generous to others? What does it mean? Have you given your life away so that others can benefit by your time here? Will they say, boy, that person did this and this and this. 
Maybe it means when you die, the only thing that continues on is people. You live in such a way that you care responsibly. God wants us to be responsible. But after caring responsibly, we are generous to others. What does it mean? Ask yourself, what will people say when they stand at your funeral? What does it mean? We need to remember that it's not ours anyhow, it's God's. What does it mean? That you don't want to come to the end of your life where you trust it more in this and you miss the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are called a fool and sent to hell. You see, this farmer wasn't a fool because he was rich. He was a fool because he tried to hold on to what was never his in the first place. Would you stand with me in prayer as we wrap up our service? Would you do something with me? Those in the link and by the internet and here in the main, just just hold your palms out, open, just straight out. I want to pray for us. Oh God, I pray that we would never place anything in these hands above you. I pray that we would never think that anything that we can hold, that we can build, that we can construct, that we can design is worth more than you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would take the talents of our hands and our minds and that we would use them for your glory. And God, we would use them, these hands so that others can benefit from us and ultimately connect them to Jesus. God, we surrender our stuff to you. We surrender plans to you that are setting us up and not benefiting others. God, we surrender these these anxious thoughts about retirement to you, knowing, God, we know from scripture that you will supply all of our needs through Jesus Christ. We surrender our rights to you, God, and we promise, God, to hold loosely to those things we value greatly. Oh, God, may this be the year where we really live the way you intended us to live. In community, with you, for you, with us others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.